Welcome back to another Tennessee Holler Facebook Live extravaganza. You can follow the Holler at the TN Holler on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. Today we're going to be talking to Michelle Johnson, Executive Director of the Tennessee Justice Center, a group that does really, really great work. Uh, you can check out and subscribe to our emails over at tnholler.com. You can also donate there or contribute there. We are an independent journalism site that subsists on small monthly donations. We really appreciate everybody who's already done that. It all really helps. Check out, we have some videos that we put out this week. We just put out a video from the Lights for Liberty rallies across Tennessee. It was awesome to see everybody showing up for those. We went to the one in Nashville and Franklin and everybody sent us your videos. Keep sending us videos. Keep sending us stories. The holler is only as good as you and the people who support it. So, you know, we can only cover so much, but having you guys out there going up and talking to our elected officials about the various things that are going on is really, really helpful, especially this thing that just happened. We should celebrate the victory. So we just found out that Governor Lee has put out a statement saying that he's open to talking to lawmakers to get rid of what we've been calling Bill Lee's KKK Day. I'm sure you saw that he signed a proclamation declaring Saturday, Nathan Bedford Forrest Day. Nathan Bedford Forrest was the first grand wizard of the KKK. That is not something we need to be celebrating here. So we made some progress. There was some national backlash. Now we need to hold him to that. We need to make sure that they do do away with Nathan Bedford Forrest Day. And we need to also make sure that they get that bust out of the legislature. We also need to make sure that they expel David Byrd, who is on tape apologizing to one of three women who say he sexually abused them in high school. And we also need to get them to expand Medicaid. So that brings us to today. I'm going to bring in Michelle Johnson. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm very good. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us here today. You're at the Justice Center right now, right? Standing in front of our some of our clients, our Mothers of the Year wall. We are able to serve about 1,200 individual clients a year, try to help them navigate the red tape so that they can have lives of opportunity and dignity. So real quick, can you just tell us, give us the rundown of what the Justice Center does? What's the mission? We help um, individual Tennesseans try to have um, the basic necessities of life. So that means healthcare, nutrition. Um, and we also then look at what's happening with the families that call us for root causes to try to fix the issue uh, for those families, even that don't find us. So we bring big court cases. We head up coalitions. Uh, we educate folks using social media and regular media to make sure that people know um, what's happening, what policy issues um, are important and how they can use our voice to make our state healthier and more compassionate. So do you find that there's a disconnect between the story that gets told by our legislature and governor about healthcare in Tennessee and the reality that you all see on the ground? Well, yeah, I mean, healthcare is the number one issue for voters in our state. And sometimes you hear legislators saying they care about healthcare. Um, we are at the bottom of the nation in pretty much every health indicator. Um, we're going in the wrong direction in maternal mortality. We're going in the wrong direction in life expectancy in some counties. Um, we have really um, embarrassing uh, numbers on infant mortality. And for maternal mortality and infant mortality, you're more than twice um, twice more likely to die uh, from having a baby or being a baby um, if you are a baby of color. And so 
we've got to figure out how to get elected officials rolling up their sleeves and trying to solve some of these complex problems as opposed to using healthcare to, you know, as a political, uh, as a political game. Absolutely. So the, the ones that I'm aware of, uh, and you know, they always brag about their fiscal stability ranking, but the rankings that I'm aware of that stick in my craw, infant mortality, you mentioned healthcare access, you mentioned mental health care access, opioids, uh, we are number one in medical bankruptcies, That's which right. is so eye popping because it's so directly related to Medicaid expansion. It's so obvious the direct line between those two things. Rural hospital closures per capita is another big one. Number, so, one. number one, right? So the story that gets told in our legislature and by our governor about how great things are, not every county is Williamson County. And Michelle, I don't know if you've been there when uh, remote area medical shows up in our state, but I was there in Columbia and there were 500 families sleeping in a parking lot at 5 a.m. to see a doctor because they couldn't see a doctor any other way. So it's it's really, really ugly. Tell us real quick uh, or, you know, not quick, but take your time. Mm -hmm. Medicaid expansion. Why do we need to do it? And have you ever heard one single good reason why we have it? Well, um, the only reason I've ever heard is that um, they don't like President Obama. And uh, as I say, there's a lot of people who didn't like President Obama and they figured out a way to get billions of dollars to their state to cover their veterans and their uninsured people. So in terms of Medicaid expansion, we are, um, our rural communities are being gutted as the hospitals close one after another because of our uh, failure to expand. And so we know, um, you know, the 13th hospital is at risk of closing. Um, they are fault. Once one hospital closes, they fall like dominoes and that takes the jobs and the economic impact of those hospitals. It also means that if you're privately insured and you need to be at the hospital quickly, you're not going to, it's possible you'll make it to the next hospital. So um, that's, that's a huge issue. The other piece is just making sure that, you know, we have been talking to and working with people in the coverage gap for now five years. And these people, they don't, they are not getting what they need to have full lives. There are people who were injured and they can't get back to work without health coverage. There are people who have um, cancer and can't get chemotherapy without work. So it's a huge cost to our healthcare infrastructure, both the loss of hospitals that have already happened. And as the Tennessean reported, there are over 20 that are at imminent risk to close. Uh, and then the economic impact on our state. We would actually net money every month if we expanded because it's a huge influx of $1.4 billion in federal funds. $1.4 billion, which we'll have. That, that, that's yeah. billion with a B. It's with $3 million dollars every yeah. single day. We're approaching $7 billion that we've lost. And as uh, Jason Hodges and also Carl Dean used to say on the campaign trail, if Washington wanted to send us $7 billion to fix our roads, you damn well better believe they would take it. So like yeah. you said, this is about not wanting anything to do with President Obama, not wanting his signature piece of legislation to thrive. And, and it's truly ugly. I'm just going to read some comments real quick, just so people know that we see them. Uh, I see Jarvis and Steve Hall thanking us for what we do. Jennifer Bland, Yamin says, is there any way to use the special session to replace Casada to introduce Medicaid expansion? And, and we can get to that in a little bit. I just want to know them to know that we're, we're hearing them. So the thing that they always say, Michelle, is that, you know, Medicaid expansion wouldn't actually help these rural hospitals. I've actually heard Republican mayors in these counties in my district disagree with them on that. Mm -hmm. So what do you say when they say, oh, there's no actual correlation between Medicaid expansion and these rural hospital closures? 
Well, you just have to compare us to other states that have expanded and you compare the uncompensated care numbers with the hospitals report that to our uh, State Department of Health. Um, and if you compare the numbers of uncompensated care in our hospitals versus states that expanded, you see there's dramatic differences. Now, I mean, there's no question that these hospitals that have closed didn't do every other thing perfectly. Um, no hospital does. But the question is, if there was expansion, would it be enough to save these hospitals? And the answer is absolutely yes. The mayors of these counties say so. If you talk to places like HCA where they have hospitals in um, states that expanded and didn't expand, it's dramatic the difference between the uncompensated care numbers. So um, there's a lot of excuses about why they don't want to expand. Um, but I mean, you can't, it, it, it's hard for them to even straight face them because the fact is it's a huge amount of money that could be brought to bear for these families, for this uh, waitresses and construction workers and home health aides. And in Nashville, particularly, we have an issue because we don't have employees to fill the positions of all of these new development, you know, hotels and restaurants. We don't have those workers. And you know, what is keeping many people from being able to work is that they don't have the health coverage they need to to have full lives. And so, um, you know, this this every other uh, governor, Republican governor has found a way to do it. And we, we just have to do it. Speaking of which, Governor Haslam wanted to do it. And a lot of the other states that have done it, Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, these are not, you know, Ohio. these are yeah. not liberal bastions. These are red states. They don't regret it. They all say it's helping their economies. Um, the question, I guess, becomes how do you get people to connect the dots between Medicaid expansion, helping them, saving their lives and the ballot box and going to vote for people, vote on this, turning out electorally to make this the issue? Because we've seen that it polls well. We've seen the people want it. But until legislators start paying the price at the ballot box, this might never change. So how do we make that connection for them? So we're a 501c3, so we aren't telling people how to vote. But I think the really important thing is for folks to understand what does expansion mean and, and it, what it means for their loved ones, for their community, for a hospital being there when they need it. And if they understand it, you know, no matter what their political party, no matter how they voted before, if they understand, if I get five minutes in the room with any group, I can flip them to understanding that they're for Medicaid expansion. Then the question is, can they call their legislators and, and will their legislators listen? It seems like they don't quite understand that the weather has changed in Tennessee. And I've done this work for 25 years. It has changed. People are understanding how health care is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. And they're ready for their elected officials to understand that they're sick of them playing games. So, you know, I'm not going to say how people should vote, but I, I am going to say that the people we talk to all day, every day are both political parties and they're ready for our leaders to actually roll up their sleeves and solve some of these problems and stop playing games. Right. And, and again, I'm not even saying how they should vote one way or another. I'm just saying until you make something the issue that you vote on, it's not going to change. So you have to make it the issue that you vote on so that they pay attention and that they hear what you're saying about it. And this is quite literally a life and death issue. And it's something that there's really no excuse for. And it's a damn shame. Yeah, the, so, polls, the polls show that most people are voting on health care. I don't know yeah. that everybody understands exactly the cause of some of the health care problems that they confront at their kitchen table. Exactly. But um, right. I think they're starting to understand it little by little. And we are, you know, we're pushing folks to call for Governor Lee at the special session to ask for expansion. You know, they have most of the legislatures never voted on it. It's time to bring it to a vote. If they think that it's not the right thing for Tennessee, fine. Put it down on the record, but we need we need 
uh, elected officials to vote on this issue because Tennesseans have waited long enough. Uh, they waited long enough. So they need to vote on it. And we expect since we're spending the money to bring all these people to Nashville, you know, it would cost zero for them to go ahead and vote on this. And it, that, that's such a good point. And other states have done that. They've put it on the ballot. I think Utah voted for it. And so if they really believe that this is something the Tennesseans want and they have their best interests at heart, put it on the ballot. Put your money where your mouth is and let's see it. I see that the Tennessee Justice Center has posted a link about emailing our reps to talk about Medicaid expansion or get them to propose it at the special session. Check that out in the comments. I see Scott Christian Saya saying thank you for what you're doing. Steve Hall pessimistically says legislators won't listen where their bread is buttered is the way they vote. He might be right about that, but it doesn't mean we stop fighting, Steve. All right, Michelle, let's talk about the next thing that uh, is on the plate here. This is something that just happened or that we just found out about, again, I guess, is the 220,000 kids who have been purged from the rolls of Medicaid. What happened and how much of it is just happenstance and how much of it is intentional? Well, I mean, basically, if people haven't seen the front page of um, papers in Knoxville and Nashville, 220,000 children lost their health coverage due to red tape and failure to implement. Um, every Medicaid program has a duty to redetermine and renew uh, Medicaid enrollees. In our state, uh, our state basically tried to make it as complicated as possible. Um, and in addition to that, they contracted with the vendor. They paid $40 million dollars. It's not clear that the vendor actually used addresses, used the best addresses they had. So we've been getting calls for uh, six, eight months from people who find out they've lost their child has lost coverage at the pharmacy or at the hospital. And then that family's in debt for the rest of their lives. So we've been asking state officials, please, will you look and see what's going on? People have not moved and they didn't get the renewal packet. The renewal packet's a 98 page packet, half in English, half in Spanish, but in the year 2019, we know how to make a process user-friendly, and this isn't it. This is the exact opposite. So uh, what we found when we asked for a Public Records Act request was that 93% of the children cut off did not have a determination on the merits of whether they were eligible or ineligible. So we have hundreds of thousands of children without health coverage, and they very well, many of them, are eligible for health coverage. So. We know after 30 years of research that children who have comprehensive health coverage do better in school, they earn more as adults, are less likely to depend on public assistance as adults. And we have elected officials who are trying to figure out what to put on the next bumper sticker as opposed to rolling up their sleeves and focusing on implementation and focusing on learning how they can do things better. Um, we're asking uh, if you know families who are, thought they had 10 care to check to make sure that they actually do have it because many people don't even know they lost it. And we're, if they did lose it, call us because we can help to get them on more quickly. Um, and uh, last thing is we're just ask, we're asking TenCare to put these kids back on. They say they have a new fancy computer. Great. None of these kids lost coverage be, with that new fancy computer. Put them back on and kick them off in the way that is fair and legal. Because right now, um, many of them lost coverage without even getting proper notice. Well, personally, I believe that all kids should be covered. And I actually think everybody should be covered, but especially kids. Uh, but I do want to say that somebody disagrees with you here, Michelle. I'm going to read you a quote, and then I'll tell you who it's from. Uh, Socialized medicine does not work. It does not provide better care. Study after study has shown Medicaid patients have equal outcomes to patients with no insurance at all. Those are the real numbers. This is coming from Representative Mark Green. This is something that he just told the Tennessee Star this week. Uh, on its face, patently ridiculous. 
but I, I wanted to give you a chance to at least address that. Is it true that having Medicaid is no better than having no insurance at all? I don't know where he's reading his studies, but unfortunately, most scientists who do this studies around comparing access to healthcare, um, you know, basically, it's completely different if you have health coverage or you don't have health coverage and Medicaid is health coverage. So, I mean, if Mark Green feels that way, I think maybe he should um, you know, give up his health care that we've paid for, taxpayers have paid for, for, I don't know, a long time. So if he doesn't think health care uh, that Medicaid works or he doesn't think um, universal health care works, uh, you know, he should give up his own health care because that seems like we're paying a lot of money for it. That's a great point. And that's something that I brought up. You know, I ran against him, full disclosure. He beat me pretty good. But while I was running, we found a clip of him in a church saying that he's against government programs like Medicaid, which he led the fight against the expansion because they keep suffering Tennesseans from a saving knowledge of who God is. So basically, he keeps people from having health insurance so they can they can be closer to God. Meanwhile, as you say, he himself has health coverage. He was on a state health care plan when he said it. The hypocrisy knows no bounds. So yeah, I mean, thank you for addressing that. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about the purging of the children? Uh, they can come to the Tennessee Justice Center to get help. That's a big yeah. thing to know. And, really you know, cool. and definitely help us spread the word because so many of these families really are walking around having no idea what is happening. And then in the middle of the night, a child gets sick and their parents are just staying up all night worrying. Can they afford to go get this illness checked out or, or, or do they just have to sit and watch their child suffer and pray? I guess Mark Green is right. You know, you do a lot of praying when you have a sick child and you don't know right. whether or not you can afford to get them care. But it's just vitally important that we get these 200,000 kids back on as soon as possible. Um, we are number one in the nation at the growth of the uninsured. Number one in the nation, Tennessee, again, at the growth in the number of uninsured children. It just feels like we can do better and our kids deserve better. Absolutely. Uh, we have a mutual friend, I think, or at least she's my friend, and I know you know her, uh, who ran for state senate here in Williamson County. Uh, and her son has a complex medical condition, had, you know, dozens of surgeries, and Medicaid has essentially saved his life. And she constantly talks about how Medicaid is children's hospitals, how children's hospitals would be dying like rural hospitals if it wasn't for Medicaid. So there's no question that Medicaid is a good thing, that health insurance is a good thing. And I second your challenge that if Mark Green disagrees with that, he should give up his own. Uh, all right, let's talk about the, the next big ticket healthcare item. Uh, there is a lawsuit going on in Texas right now. Essentially, Republican states are suing the government over the Affordable Care Act, I believe trying to get rid of the individual mandate, saying it's unconstitutional. And if they were to succeed, it would essentially invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act, ripping coverage away from tens of millions of Americans and ripping protections away from the millions upon millions of people with pre-existing conditions in this country. Uh, please elaborate on that. Tell us what's going on down there and who can we reach out to to knock some sense into in this state the way we did with Governor Bill Lee and that and that awful KKK day. Yeah, it's vitally important that there's almost been no reporting of this issue. But basically what we have is a Texas AG said, we think that the ACA is unconstitutional and many other gov many other attorney general's offices joined him. Um, California AG, New York AG, other AG said it is constitutional. Please don't take away um, our citizens pre-existing condition protections. And 
Um, the, the trial judge said, um, you're right, it is unconstitutional. Um, and, and basically in the, when that came out, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander said, oh, you know, that's gonna be overturned. There's no way that's gonna stand. Um, Herb Slatery, our attorney general joined in that case. Um, and their argument when other states try to intervene is don't let them intervene because you can just apply this unconstitutional decision. You can just apply that to the states that are in the case. And so that would mean we would lose our pre-existing condition protection. So privately insured Tennesseans who have private health care would lose the ability to be sure that they can get health coverage on a going forward basis where people in New York and California would not would not lose that. It was um, just argued in the Fifth Circuit and the, and the court there seemed very hostile to the ACA. So it's almost certainly going to be overturned again. I mean, that being unconstitutional is gonna be upheld and it will be going to the Supreme Court. We are asking uh, Attorney General Herb Slatery to pull out of this case. He's a reasonable and moderate man and one in three Tennesseans have a pre-existing condition. I, you know, I've done this work at a time when pre-existing conditions were, uh, you know, they were a matter of life or death for many Tennesseans because they could not access, they couldn't buy health coverage at any price. Um, they were they were basically kicked out of the whole market. And so, if you had something, and pre-existing conditions can be as simple um, as acne or depression, or they could be as complicated as cancer. But if you had cancer and you were cured of it, you couldn't get health coverage again in Tennessee before the ACA. So it's just, it's vital that Tennessee pulls out of that case before it goes to the Supreme Court. Um, it, it can't even believe that we're having this conversation. Um, it, it's so- how, So yeah. how do they, with a straight face, make the case that they are the ones that are trying to salvage the pre-existing conditions provision when they're the ones suing to get rid of it? Like, is that, is it just lying? Is that all it is? Or is there some twisted logic to when they say that? No, I just think they think they can play games and they won't get caught. And unfortunately, we have had a really hard time getting the news media to pick up on Tennessee's participation in this lawsuit. It would have devastating impact on the entire state, both in terms of hospital closures and in terms of privately insured people. You you would have to be a billionaire in order to pay for your health care without health insurance. And so not many people in the state would be able to survive if they've had a pre-existing condition. So. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. They're doing, they did this lawsuit as a little bit of a political ploy. They never expected to get a judge that would be like, yeah, all right, it, it's right. And then they, of course, got a, an appeals panel equally um, set on ideology and not really on the law or any sort of kind of precedent. So uh, I, I hope the Supreme Court, you know, shoot straight. But if they don't, you know, there's a lot at risk. And I hope that we can get Tennesseans to to call on Attorney General Slatery to say, please pull out of this case. Well, Jennifer Bland Yamin says she spoke directly with the AG's office prior to this growing to trial and Slatery had no intention of pulling out. So all I can say is keep calling. You never know. Uh, and we need to keep drawing attention to this. The one thing that we've seen recently is that if we keep hammering, if we keep drawing attention, if we keep lighting the fires, change is possible. So, you know, Jennifer, I hear what you're saying. Let's just keep trying. Let's keep pushing. Uh, what's the next landmark when it comes to the lawsuit? Do we know what's coming next? What do, what do we have to look forward to? What's the timetable here? Yeah, the, the panel has not issued a decision, but their questioning was extremely hostile. So we'll hear a decision probably in the next, you know, six to eight weeks. And then, um, and then the states that are for the ACA will appeal to the Supreme Court um, and I assume they'll argue it in the next session. But um, 
yeah, but I, I think we'll, we should wait for a decision, you know, any, any, probably sometime this summer, early fall. Okay. So we had two other things that we wanted to cover and we, you know, we will get you out of here. I don't want to keep you on here forever. I know you, you guys have lives to save. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to mention next was it seems that Republicans know that they need to do something about the rural health care crisis in this state. But the answer that they've come up with appears to be really a non-answer and frankly illegal. Their answer is, okay, yeah, things are bad here. We probably should do something about the Medicaid situation and the rural hospital closures. Uh, but our answer is don't give us more money. Just give us all of that money and block grant it to us. And then we'll decide what to do with it. So what are Medicaid block grants and why are they such a wonderful idea, Michelle? I mean, basically, they're such a wonderful idea that no other state in the nation has sought um, one or received one. So, I mean, they're, they're a good idea for the Trump administration. He wants to cut trillions from the Medicaid program, and that's their goal. They've never hidden that. They want to cut trillions from the Medicaid program. And so, you know, rumor has it they reached out to Marsha Blackburn, who reached out to the governor and said, let Tennessee be the first one. Um, I mean, who knows if that's right, but it's hard to really understand it if you understand health policy from any other perspective other than a political one, because we're talking about a huge part of the Tennessee state budget. 20 cents of every dollar is, is federal Medicaid money. And uh, what we know about block grants is you will not get more money. You will not get more money. So their whole thing of like, we're going to cover more people and, you know, it's going to be the best money we ever got. Well, my teenager said, it's kind of like if you were to say to me, um, you would pay for my gas, you know, for the next 10 years. And I say, well, why don't you just give me like a hundred dollars and then, you know, never ask me where I'm going. And, you know, I mean, that that's essentially what we're talking about here. It's a 50 year old partnership. No other state has sought to end that partnership. And it's it's um, it's really terrifying, I think, for our state to be going to negotiate when the clear goal of the Trump administration is to cut cut the cost and to put the political and the financial burden on Tennessee, on Tennesseans. And so what we know, if there's not any more money, is that they'll have to cut. They'll have to cut kids or seniors. And everybody, I think, thinks that there's these magical people on Medicaid who are undeserving. I mean, we've been doing this for I've been doing this for 25 years and I haven't met those people. Families, um, low income families who often are working three and four jobs um, grandparents who have paid into the system, sometimes served our nation and they need to have their final chapter with dignity and children who really have a bright future ahead of them if they can only get comprehensive coverage. So why we want to limit that, um, the answer from Governor Lee is we want flexibility. And when you ask him, what do you want flexibility for? He doesn't say, and that's very disturbing. What does he want the flexibility to do? We've had flexibility in Tennessee for 25 years. We have a waiver. The waiver enables Tennessee to do all sorts of things that other states aren't able to do. And if there's anything that he thinks that he could save money or could improve health, he could ask the Trump administration for that. And almost certainly he would he would get that, but he wouldn't give up the partnership. And the partnership is just vital for a state like ours that doesn't have an income tax, doesn't have the financial wherewithal to endure any sort of, you know, downturn in the economy or any sort of crisis, um, either weather wise or, you know, otherwise. Well, the big themes, I think, that are wrapped up in this are macro themes that pertain to so many other things. So with the Medicaid expansion and the block grants, basically they're saying they don't want strings attached to the program that they have because they want the freedom to be able to do the things that they want to do. But the question then becomes, do they want freedom to have choices or for us to have choices, or do they want the freedom to be able 
to exploit the system and funnel money into the pockets of their donors. It seems to be the similar thing with education. So that freedom word and that choice word, which they use when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, when it comes to insurance, all kinds of things. The thing that people need to be aware of is that the freedom that they're talking about is not freedom for us. It's freedom for the people who want to take advantage of us. And I think that that block grants are, are a big part of that. Is that fair to say? Is that accurate? It's, it's nine, nine billion dollars of federal taxpayer dollars coming to Tennessee. And that's and they basically they're saying we don't want to be held accountable to anybody's standards. Well, how are they held accountable? But they're held accountable to like quality of care standards in nursing homes. So for seniors, not just seniors on Medicaid, but all seniors across the state are protected every day by quality of care standards so that their loved ones are safe in nursing homes. You know, they're protected by saying you can't dump um, a child off of health care without giving them notice and the chance to say you cut me off mistakenly. Uh, these are the kinds of, you know, things they want to be flexible from. And my question just is, you know, in, if you're getting money, maybe you want to be accountable to, to taxpayers because most of the folks that are calling our office, they they aren't sitting around their table saying we want Governor Lee to have flexibility. They're saying we want uh, elected officials who can actually solve some problems so we can have financial peace of mind and so that we can see our loved ones not suffering needlessly and having lives of opportunity. Right. And the guardrails, it's about guardrails. And right now we are already at the bottom in so many of these things to take away the guardrails and to just trust blindly that, you know, the people at the top have our best interests at heart. You know, we've seen all kinds of shenanigans going on in our state legislature. It's really dangerous. It's life and death. And then the other thing is, you know, general themes, it's program cuts for the people and it's tax cuts for the top. And essentially what they're trying to do by cutting Medicaid and Medicare and Social Security is pay for the tax cuts that they gave to corporations and the wealthy. So they know that they blew a giant hole in the deficit, which goes against their fiscal conservatism. And they're trying to pay for it by taking away coverage and care from poor people. And it's really that simple. And, and block grants, in my, you don't have to weigh in and agree with me there, but you know, I know you're not political, but for me, you know, it seems pretty clear that block grants are sort of a way for them to shuffle the, the, the cards and, and pay for some of these tax cuts that, that we've seen. Yeah, and also just pass on the, uh, the political accountability to our state legislators, because we know if children start getting cut, if seniors start getting cut, if we start losing protections that impact families in this state, somebody's going to be held accountable politically. And so a block grant just basically takes that political accountability from the federal government, passes on to the state. So, uh, I mean, I, I think having done this long enough to know, you know, the reason why we have uh, Medicaid is because people deserve, a, you know, a full quality of life, but nobody, there aren't massive changes to Medicaid without, without elected officials hearing about it and feeling the impact of that. So I hope, um, I hope they know what they're doing. You know, there's supposed to be a task force, task force is going to make everything modern and healthy and wonderful. The problem is they're doing the task force, which isn't quite a task force. It's more of a listening tour separate from the block grants and the block grant, which is, funds all of it is going to be done in some sort of quiet, you know, private secret room. Meanwhile, we have some people invited to a meeting. And when you ask when and where the meeting is, that's super secret. So, <coughs> so the task force like, is different than the space force, I would imagine, right? Space force. Yeah. So, it seems like you're serious about a block grant improving health and improving the financial um, viability of our state. Um, you, you would do that out in the open and you would do it as part of a broader problem solving conversation. Um, it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. It doesn't seem like it's what's happening at all. And it feels like it's more about a tweet than it is about 
the problems that Tennesseans confront at their kitchen table. So I wanted to ask you as a final thing, uh, if the Tennessee Justice Center has a goal for what the healthcare in this country should look like, but I also know you wanted to mention the work requirements. So you touched on that briefly, but what are the Medicaid work requirements and why are they such a bad idea? You know, I, I will say on that one, I understand why people feel like it's a good idea to say, oh, well, you should have to work if you're going to get this government benefit. And, you know, but at the same time, I know most people on Medicaid are working. So how do, how do we translate this issue for people who may actually in the back of their minds think it makes some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Work is something that most of the people that we work with, our clients, mostly they work and they want to work. But healthcare has been a vitally important part of how they work. You know, if they have, if you have somebody who works in a nursing home as a home health aide, she has cancer and she loses her job because the nursing home has a cut in their um, rates, she also will lose her chemotherapy. And guess what? If she doesn't have her chemotherapy, she's not going to be able to get another job. In rural communities, there aren't a huge amount of jobs for low wage workers. And if you don't, if you're not healthy, if you're not able to get the health care you need, you're going to have a hard time getting another job. So right, backwards, they, they, they're saying you got to go work to get your health care. No, no, no. These people are sick. These people are in trouble. We need to get them health care so that they can get up and go to work. And, you know, it shouldn't be earning your way to live a, a comfortable life. Like, where is everybody's humanity? This is a pro-life state. What is more pro-life? And giving people health insurance and health coverage. It's not like we're saying give them a lottery ticket. We're just saying let them see a doctor when they get sick. This shouldn't be an argument. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, when in 2000, and, uh, well, when we began Tenkir in 1994, there was a huge increase in the number of people who could actually go back to work, who had been too sick to work, but they got health coverage, they were able to go back to work. Um, and we know from the experience in Arkansas, Kentucky, they expanded Medicaid and they wanted to have the work reporting requirements apply to their expansion population. So these are childless adults. And they thought, well, you know what, these people should be able to work. Um, and so they applied these rules to that, to that population. And what they found, and they put a lot of red tape and they did it They did it in a way that wasn't meant to get anybody to be able to show that they were working. And what they found was that it didn't increase, um, it, it did not increase people working. Um, it just basically decreased the number of people who, um, who ha didn't have health coverage. And so we know from Arkansas and Kentucky, it, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a game, not because people don't want to work, people do want to work, but it's like, they're trying to cut the rolls. This is another opportunity for them to do away with Medicaid. And so our national partners at Georgetown Center for Children and Families say about 64,000 Tennesseans will lose coverage, not because they don't work, but because in our state they're applying, we're going to be the first state in the nation to apply these requirements to the core Medicaid population. And the federal government in arguing in Arkansas and Kentucky, in that case, they said, let us do this judge, because this is an expansion population. This is not the core Medicaid population. And then Tennessee came along and said, let's apply it to the core Medicaid population. So who is that? That is moms, moms of young children in rural communities, often who can't afford childcare, and still they're working two and three jobs. But now they have to report it every month and they have to go through all this red tape to show that they're working. And what we know from Georgetown Center for Children and Families is it's going to result in about 65,000 parents losing coverage. Guess what happens when mom can't get mental health treatment or can't get chemotherapy? Children are going to suffer. And again, like we can do better. You know, we can figure out ways to help moms work. This isn't about helping moms work. This doesn't provide transportation or childcare or job training. What this does is say, if you don't get a job, you lose your insulin, you lose your chemo. And surely we're better than that. Um, we have 
we have life expectancy going in the wrong direction in our state. We have women dying um, from giving birth at a rate that they never have before. Surely the heavens, we can actually roll up our sleeves and solve some of these problems. Um, yeah, the, we understand that the federal government is going to approve our waiver any minute um, and put us as the first state in the nation to have these requirements on on moms. And that just it feels like it was driven by, you know, somebody wanted to have a political attack ad, not really even understanding what it meant. Who They didn't even understand who was on Medicaid. They kept saying these childless adults are getting this Medicaid. Well, they had forgotten they hadn't expanded Medicaid. So who who are these folks? They're parents, the overwhelming majority of which already have jobs. Some of them have multiple jobs. I see Danny Cook saying our uninsured aren't even being offered enrollment into 10 care by Ballad when being admitted in the hospital here in Northeast Tennessee. Ballad Health is this hospital merger. I'm sure you know about it in Northeast Tennessee. That is basically where cronyism meets corruption. And Danny has been fighting on the front lines over there. So I wanted to give her a shout out. Uh, there's so many different problems. There's so much to tackle. I appreciate that you all are on the front lines doing what you're doing. Uh, there are about 50 people watching us right now. If you guys want to ask questions, we have Michelle maybe for a couple more minutes asked. But the question that I wanted to ask you is, is there a preferred uh, health care system that Tennessee Justice Center would like to see? Is it maybe just universal care in general? Or, you know, are you guys in favor of Medicare for all? Is there something that Tennessee Justice Center thinks would be better for America? Uh, we think everybody should have health coverage, except for maybe legislators who vote against um, health care. We don't, in terms of how we get there, we just want to get there as soon as we possibly can. Um, and, you know, we have to be pretty pragmatic because we're talking to people all day, every day whose lives are at risk, whose children's lives are at risk without it. And we just, we just want health care for everybody, um, except for maybe Mark Green. <laughs> <laughs> you are singing my song with that one, Michelle. You know how to win your way into my heart. Uh, all right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, we've been flashing your website, but it's tnjustice.org. Uh, we are tnholler.com. Everybody should check out their website. You can also listen to the audio of this or share the audio of this. It's going to be out as a podcast on our iTunes and, and anywhere you get your podcast. We put the audio of these interviews out there. We're also at, on Twitter at the TN Holler. You guys are at TN Justice Center, I think. Right. on Twitter. And then we're on Facebook. Also, we're doing these interviews. We're trying to tackle Tennessee issues, uh, you know, and, and trying to shine a light on people like Michelle and the Tennessee Justice Center. who are doing such good work in a state that needs it so badly. So, Michelle, thank you for doing this. Thanks for I having really me. Thanks, y'all, for all you all you do. Use your voices to make our state a little bit better. Trying to. Tennessee. Woo! Yeah. Tennessee. To Tennessee.